0: everybody. Welcome back to the Practice Makes Faithful podcast. Today we are in season two, episode seven. This is also part seven of our series, The Way Back. We're going to dive into in just a minute here. My name is Ben Patterson and I'm joined by Paul Hubert.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is for us. We're shooting on a different day, uh, yep. but uh, had a little bit of fun yesterday. Uh, got to got to go out Play some golf with some of the guys here at church in a in a charity tournament. So cool. uh, a little bit different for us to, to be here on a on a Tuesday morning for us. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but man, just as we're walking through and uh, and prepping some of the conversation that we're going to have today, just uh, again struck by uh, this reality, this knowledge that man, we're going to talk about some really important stuff today. So I, yeah, 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 I walked away from, even from last week's podcast feeling like man, if if there were any of our podcasts that I could call just, you know, get all Christians to live to, it'd be, you know, last week's, this week's, and then next week's, you know, just again, because mm-hmm. I think they really challenge uh, our understanding of, uh, of really the way we live out our faith and faithfulness. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super excited for the conversation
0: we're going to have today. Awesome. That's a that's a good good preview <laughs> to kind of get people intrigued a little bit. Um, so as we as we dive into this, we're like I said, we're in part seven of the way back. It's an eight part series. So next mm-hmm. week, make sure you join us for the epic conclusion. <laughs> but um, for uh, as for today, why don't you give us that recap of the series up until this point? Yeah,
1: so uh, so quick recap is this. So everything that we have done to this point, and if you haven't listened to the previous episodes or if you're just jumping in now, it'd be great to go back maybe and listen to uh, the six that have led to this point in this uh, series and also what is just the beginning of the season working through. Um, everything that we have done to this point is really to set the stage for the idea of repentance, the, mm-hmm. the biblical idea of repentance. And so last week, we really tried to spend some time Defining biblically this idea of repentance. And I think that's important for the recap today, mm-hmm. um, just so that we pick up at, at a good place. And so, uh, in doing that, we'll say that we looked and we kind of surveyed, um, you know, almost in an exegetical fashion, a number of Old Testament passages last week to get this fuller picture of, of what the idea of repentance is, because I believe many of us have, um, have only understood about half of what repentance is truly all about. Okay? okay, so, so here's okay. the way that we frame this, you know, is that, that at the heart of repentance is the choice to turn from wickedness, to renounce it fully, and instead return to God. Again, that, that's the collective uh, wisdom, collective communication of several different scriptures, um, you know, where God was speaking through these prophets, whether it be Ezekiel or Jeremiah or even... Uh, you know, as he's speaking himself to King Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7. So it's this coming together, this synthesis of this understanding of the biblical idea of repentance. So if we look at that idea, so if at the heart of the idea of repentance is the choice to turn from wickedness, it's not just to feel badly about wickedness, it's to make a turn from wickedness. It's not just, again, to feel badly, it's to renounce it. It's to turn back to God. And so with that said, here's the way that I have defined the idea of repentance is that repentance begins with a deep conviction about the past that leads to Mm -hmm. a consecrated Mm -hmm. future and using two words in there that both begin with C to try to help people remember. So it's conviction (laughs) and consecration at the same time. Consecration, just this idea that from, from here on forward, I'm setting something apart and it's, it's in this case, it's our life. So we feel we're convicted about the things about the way we've lived our lives in the past. So, we're consecrating our lives to God in the future here on Ford. So, a way of saying that is this. um, And maybe this is kind of, uh, you know, maybe the phrase you take home um, out of this is that biblical repentance is every bit as much about what will happen in the future as it is about what has happened in the past. And I think that's the piece that we miss often. We make repentance so past-centered that we neglect to understand that repentance is every bit as much about what will happen in the future. It's that moment where we're choosing things will be different from here on forward. So really, mm-hmm. I think in in a way that that's good. summarizes where we have been or at least tells you why we've been where we've been so that we can now uh, head in the direction that, that, that we're going for the rest of... This uh, well, just these last two parts of this series now today and then next week.
0: Yeah, that's great. So that brings us up to this week. I know last week we kind of talked about uh, several passages from the Old Testament mm-hmm. on repentance, and this week we kind of take a steer corner into the steer it into the New Testament a yeah. bit more. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Where were we this week in this message?
1: Yeah, that's great. And so I think it's a fair question. You know, when we look at repentance in the Old Testament, is um, is is this is re- the idea of repentance going to be discussed in the same way in the new testament mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. when we see um you know a hebrew word is the greek word going to mean is it going to mean the same thing mm-hmm. is there going to be a the shift hebrew a change? Word was shuv? yeah shuv or shuv depending okay. on how you pronounce it and, and in greek the word is metanoia okay um and, and they have very similar connotations but especially when you see the context in which those words were used uh you get to see that not only is their context the same or the connotation of the usage of the words the same, um, the meaning or the idea is almost identical, exactly okay. the same. And okay. so that's, that's good. You know, that's mm-hmm. what you'd want mm-hmm. to see. And so, um, you know, and you'd want to see too, does the idea of repentance feature as prominently in the New Testament as it did in the Old? And the answer to that question mm-hmm. is also yes. In fact, I think we touched on this just briefly last week, that um, when Jesus begins to preach... Um, in fact, when his, his cousin John the Baptist preached and, and he probably began preaching you know, six months or a little bit more uh, before Jesus did, um, John began his message or the center point of his message was this idea of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near or sometimes people say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so mm-hmm. that's where John began or at least that was kind of the, you know, the foundation of all of his preaching was this idea of repenting because of the nearness, the presence, the coming of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and would you believe that Jesus you know, either borrows from John or they were so in touch with the, the Holy Spirit working through them? You know, John certainly had the Holy Spirit working in his life. We see Jesus at the moment of his baptism, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. So what was then the Holy Spirit propelling them to do uh, was to preach this message of repentance because Jesus begins... With the same exact words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's mm-hmm. the kingdom of heaven, it's the kingdom of God is coming. So what's our response to that? It's to repent. Yeah. It's to yeah. turn. It's to change our ways and change our lives. Or as, the, as we talked about um, you know, in one of the passages that we'll, we'll jump to looking at now, um, Acts 2.38, the way that the expanded Bible uh, actually... Translates this word metanoia, the 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 word that we get repentance from, Mm -hmm. um, is to say change your heart and change your lives. Hmm. Okay, now let's set up Acts two thirty eight actually as we did in in the the message. Um, So in Acts two, Peter is preaching the first gospel sermon. It's the day of Pentecost. It's this day when people from all around the you know at that time the known world, especially where the Jews had been scattered during the diaspora during. Um, the time when, uh, we, we discussed that last week actually, when, when the Jews were taken into exile. So they were scattered to all these different places. They still maintained, in many ways, their Jewish identity. In fact, they would form these little communities centered around synagogues, uh, but they would come back, especially in the first century, in the time of Jesus, and just after, they're coming back to Jerusalem because a temple was there. So they're coming to the temple, to celebrate these feasts that were, that were very significant in, in Jewish culture, Jewish heritage and history, and Pentecost was one of those. And so here on this day of Pentecost, you got all these people coming together, and it's also this moment we also call Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church in a sense, and it certainly is. Mm-hmm. It's the day when the Holy Spirit, as promised by Jesus, de- descends upon His disciples, um, some some crazy wild things happen. You know, there's this loud wind, the Holy Spirit is you know, like tongues of fire above their heads. They go out and they start speaking the languages of all these people that again, were coming from uh, these Jewish folks that were coming from different areas in the world where they were speaking different languages. And here are the disciples now speaking these languages. And, and some people thought they were drunk, they were babbling, they weren't sure what was happening.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but they didn't make the connection immediately that something miraculous was actually taking place. And so in this moment, the Apostle Peter stands up to say, Hey, listen, I know some of you are kind of making fun of us, and some of you even think we're drunk. We're not drunk. It's early in the morning. You know, so you don't, that's interesting that Peter's answer is, it's not, We don't <laughs> get drunk until it's it's only it's only 9 a.m. That's yeah, <laughs> right. It's only yeah. 9 a.m., so we're not, we're not drunk. But then he proceeds to preach this. I mean, he really preaches the gospel. He shares the gospel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he shares the enthronement of Christ, which is at the heart of the gospel, by the way, which we often, you know, we talk, we, we often think that the gospel is this idea, you know, the gospel is us-centered, Yeah. you know, so the sacrifice of Jesus makes it possible for us to, yeah. em, you know, to embrace the gospel, and, and that is true. Um, you know, but the gospel is a lot of it, but that's right. That's right. It's the result. So our response to the gospel is to, to be able to hear and to believe and to repent and to be baptized and to, you know, live faithfully from here. I mean, all those things, yes, those are there. Um, but the gospel is really centered on the enthronement of Christ. And so, um, Peter walks through that beginning with these uh, old Testament ideas and moving into this Jesus whom you crucified, guess what God has done. He's made Him Lord. He's made Him King. I mean, He's now enthroned. And so that's kind of the climax of His message. And of course, the the people, as they hear those words, this Jesus whom you crucified, He's now made Lord and Mm -hmm. and Savior, Messiah, King, all these things. You know, all these ideas wrapped up in, in what it means to be the Christ. You know, so often when we speak of Jesus, we talk about Jesus Christ. And we almost act like you know, Christ is his surname when the reality is it's a declaration about his identity, yeah. Jesus the yeah. Christ, the anointed one, the one who God was setting apart to be the king, the enthroned king. And so even in that is this declaration of what the gospel is going to be, what the gospel is all about. And so, um, so Peter preaches that message. The crowd, multiple thousands, because we know at least 3,000 responded that day, Multiple thousands are cut to the heart in that moment, and they respond with a question, which is totally natural, it makes sense. They say, well, what, what can we do? If this is true, what you have just told us is true, then what can we do? And Peter replies in that moment, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And then he tells them two things will happen. You'll receive forgiveness for your sins, and not just the sin of putting Jesus on the cross, no doubt that is in play, But your sins, your (laughs) sinfulness. We've talked about the fact that we're all fallen creatures. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's true about that crowd. It's true about us. And so Peter in that moment says, listen, you'll receive forgiveness for those sins. So so don't, don't continue to hold on to that. You'll be freed from that guilt. But then beyond that, he says, then the same Holy Spirit that you're seeing at work in us right now is going to come and indwell you. And then he ends with these words, he says, and this promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So that's the Acts 2.38 message. And it's, it's, a, it's a heavy message. I mean, it's a, it's a killer first gospel message. Um, you know, Peter did a, an awesome job, obviously the Holy Spirit working through him, preaching that message and sharing yeah. the true gospel with that crowd. It cut them to the heart. They responded as the text, as Luke records, You know, there's like 3,000 of them respond on that day and Mm -hmm. are baptized. They repent and are baptized, receiving this promise of forgiven sins and this promise of the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, So on Sunday morning, we talked a little bit about baptism in that because um, Acts 2.38 talks about baptism, the significance of baptism. We don't know... um, you know, how much did that first crowd understand about baptism? Well, we could go back and forth on that and, uh, and try to get an understanding of how much they actually understood about baptism. Certainly, the idea of ritual cleansing um, yeah. for them as Jews was not something that was foreign to them whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So they understood those ideas. And John had been preaching baptism, right? John had been the, the, some, yeah, for, for repentance. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, baptism yeah. of repentance. John had been preaching already. Although we know that that baptism wasn't enough for some reason. And the reason is because Mm -hmm. Peter actually says, You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so this baptism now centers upon Jesus and his work Mm -hmm. and our identifying with him. And so, you know, maybe even in that moment, Peter didn't fully understand the significance of Mm -hmm. baptism. I don't know. Or maybe he did share some some things with them about baptism. But, you know, that's why we have the entire New Testament to be able to to look Mm -hmm. and understand Mm -hmm. more about baptism. And so, just real quickly, On Sunday morning, we dove into Romans chapter 6. We're going to do that just briefly this morning as well, just so that we can understand the significance of baptism. And and I want you to see how baptism connects directly with the idea of repentance.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, so if the idea of repentance is turning or renouncing or turning away from so that we can return to God, Watch how this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6 as he begins to talk about baptism. Okay. He says this in Romans six 6:1. Uh, he says, "What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? In other words, should we go on living this old life that we've renounced, that we're turning away from so that we can return to God? Should we go on doing the things of the old life so that grace might increase? He says, by no means. In fact, he uses a very strong imperative in the Greek um, that, uh, that is so forceful, some have actually put it on, on par with, you know, almost invoking a curse in a mm-hmm. sense. Now, I don't know, that may be stretching it a little bit, but, but that's what some scholars actually say about it, you know, mm-hmm. by no means, no way, this is not the way that we're called to live, you know, so mm-hmm. however far you want to go with that, the Apostle yeah. Paul is yeah. saying, no way, this is not the kind of people we are called to be. And then he goes on to say why. He says, we're those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So I asked a question on Sunday morning, and it's a question that I didn't come up with this question. It's a question that I've heard other uh, preachers ask before. You know, ask in, in, the, in the message, you know, what, what, what can a dead man do? You know, what, what do dead people do? And the answer is nothing, you know, I mean, (laughs) once, once you've died, you can't really do anything. At Mm -hmm. least your, your physical body can't do anything. And so the apostle Paul is saying, we're those who should not be able to do anything in relation to sin anymore. We should have died to sin. We can't live in it any longer. Dead people don't respond to the stimuli of sin um, because, because they're dead. And then he turns the corner and says, listen, let me tell you about how your baptism signifies the moment when you repented, when you turned away from sin, so that you could return to God. right? So that you could be united with Him in relationship again. That's exactly what Paul says. He says, Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Okay, so there was a dying in baptism, just as there is in repentance, we're dying Mm -hmm. to the old life. He says, We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live, here it is, a new life, mm-hmm. an entirely new life. He goes on to say this, For if we've been united with Him in death like this, like, or a death like His, we will certainly also be united
2: mm-hmm. with
1: Him in a resurrection like His. Paul says this, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with Him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So I don't know if that doesn't sound like repentance or the idea of repentance. Yeah. Or maybe this, yeah. I- taking the ideas of repentance and turning them into um, you know this image, this picture, this almost enactment of what repentance actually looks like in that moment then that we are in the water we're put under the water there's a death that happens in that moment we're raised out of that water united with Christ mm-hmm. there's a new life mm-hmm. that begins all that wrapped up in that moment of baptism yeah. so baptism incredibly significant and should actually be one of the things that cements our understanding of repentance mm-hmm. right i mean mm-hmm. if we're thinking old me dies new me comes to life that's the idea of repentance that's what we're saying and declaring in that moment of I choose to repent. I choose to be baptized in that moment. And so we also looked at um, the second gospel message that was preached where Peter doesn't mention the idea of baptism, but he again hammers on this idea of repentance. Um, In fact, he doesn't wait for the crowd to ask the question as he and John were at the temple. They heal this man. Um, It it creates an opportunity to preach again as the crowd is listening to them. And uh, and Peter in Acts 3.19 says, um, goes on to talk, you know, as, as he is sharing with this crowd, and he basically says this, repent. And, and I love this here because if there is any question about the meaning of Old Testament repentance and New Testament repentance, Peter completely uh, does away with that question or answers the question for us when he says this, he says, repent then, and this is Acts 3.19, and turn to God. So what is Repentance. It's turning mm-hmm. to God. I mean, Peter embraces kind of, the, you know, the preacher's favorite tool of redundancy here by saying, let me tell you what I mean by repent, turn to God and what will happen in that moment. So Peter doesn't say the words forgiveness, as he says in Acts 2.38, but he actually paints again a visual picture of what forgiveness looks like. He says, so that your sins may be wiped out. It's almost like God takes this eraser and wipes out your sins. Why? So you know, he's, he's wiping out your sins so that you would be forgiven. And then I love what Peter says next here. And, and in fact, we're going to switch translations real, quick, real quickly from the, the NIV to the New American Standard. Okay. Um, because the NIV misses this just a little bit. Or let, let's read from the NIV first and then let's read from the New American Standard so that we can point out the difference here. Um, Peter says in the NIV, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And then the next promise, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Okay, Uh, that's what the NIV says. Listen to the way that the New American Standard says this, a more literal, closer to word for word translation. In the New American Standard, we see Peter saying, therefore, repent and return. So repentance, returning, tied together again, Mm -hmm. so that your sins may be wiped away. a very similar idea, wiped out, in order that times of refreshing, so that the promise of times of refreshing here is there as well, may come from the presence of the Lord. So uh, let's just take all of this and combine this real quickly if we can. Okay? So we've got repentance featuring prominently um, in the first gospel message, the idea of baptism featuring prominently in the first gospel message. It's repentant or its connection to repentance made plain uh, as we look at Acts, or, I mean, Romans chapter 6, um, Acts 3:19, Peter talking about repentance all over again, and then giving the same promises actually that he gives, in Acts 2.30 and Acts chapter 2, he, he gives them just slightly differently. So where he talks in Acts 2.38 about repentance or being repentance and baptism being tied to forgiveness and the receiving of the gift, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 3.19, he talks about repentance being tied to the wiping away or wiping out of sins and the, the coming of the presence of God, which lead to times of refreshing or the way we've talked about that before and and actually really a big subject of the book. And as we move into the next chapter and the next part, this idea of revival coming because the presence of God is, is dwelling with His people again where the presence of God had been removed for a time because of our sinfulness, but repentance again, as we've been making the case throughout the last several weeks, is repentance brings the presence of God back to His people. God has always promised to return to, the, to his people when they repent, that's the promise of God. And so, um, so just real quickly, you know, uh, during the message, I framed this section as, you know, the, the idea of the call and the promise, or maybe it could be the call and the promises would be a better way to even say that. So the call is to repent or repent and be baptized, depending upon which of those two sermons you're looking at. Um, and I think since we take the, the whole Bible as much as we can together in context, we just go with the expanded and say, repent and be baptized, understanding significance, meaning, and purpose of baptism. And then here are the promises. Okay, so the call, that's the call. Here are the promises. First, forgiveness of sins.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But then second, the presence of God in your life. So for the repentant believer, the presence of God with you in your life daily everywhere you go god with you Mm -hmm, right you're able to experience mm -hmm. that presence now let me just say this real quickly as we as we close this section um you know i i have seen a lot more emphasis on the first promise than the second yeah, seen a lot more emphasis on the first, even even when people have been baptized. You know, and we get to witness that often here at Grace Chapel, and we rejoice in that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes when we see in that moment when someone is being baptized, the thing we hammer on, you know, whoever's doing the baptizing hammers on: your sins are going to be forgiven in this moment. Your sins will be forgiven as you die and as you're raised to new life. And it's almost like our idea is that you know, as you're raised to new life, it's now a life where you. You can start over again, and and you don't have the sin thing to worry about. And yes, that's true. But what about the second part of that? Mm-hmm. What about the second part of that? The presence yeah. of God will be with you um, from from here on out. And so, you know, th- there are two parts of this promise, and, and we need to be incredibly clear about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I was, so let's talk about that. About okay. that. Aspect of maybe underemphasizing okay. that second aspect of it. Because, yeah, you're right. I mean, we're in a, we are in a. Christian tradition that very much emphasizes baptism, rightfully so. And Mm -hmm. I think you're very right that a lot of times when we think of baptism um, and really when we think of repentance too, that it is, it's that forgiveness of sins that we don't often think about the Holy Spirit aspect of it as much. At least it's underemphasized, it seems. So like, why, why is that? Why don't we make a bigger deal about having the presence of God in our lives?
1: Yeah, so, um, so... First, I'd say I don't think it's just our tradition, and I don't—you mm-hmm. weren't implying that at yeah, all. No, I, I just no. want to say, in a broader sense, it's not just our tradition. I think it's Western Christianity, period, or North okay. American Christianity. Certainly, um, we we do focus in very much on the forgiveness of sins, and, and, and you know, as, as some have said, in North America, we we kind of have this you know a salvation culture mm-hmm. where even the gospel is. Is is tightly focused around or centered on this idea of Mm. of us being saved, and that being the good news is that we can be saved, and that is a part of the good news or an outflowing of the good news, Mm -hmm. as we've already been hinting at a little Mm -hmm. bit this morning. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because we hadn't hadn't really talked about this in in our preparation, but it really is at at the heart, I think, of what is some of the trouble is maybe our misunderstanding of what really is central to the gospel. What's central to the gospel is. God sent Jesus to this earth. Jesus was faithful in all the things that God sent him to accomplish in that even the giving of his life, which, yes, does does set the stage for the atonement at, Mm -hmm. at, you know, at every level. And we've talked about atonement before and that uh, the atonement is not just um, is not just substitutionary atonement. There's more Mm -hmm. to the atonement to that. But that is central to the idea of the atonement. Yes. So his death does make that possible. But Jesus had to die so that He could be raised again to life, and that so then He could be enthroned mm-hmm. by God. And so here is the de- declaration of the gospel: this, this Jesus whom you crucified is now Lord. Yeah, I mean that's at the heart of the gospel. He's now yeah. Lord. He's King. All the stuff that is significant to Jesus being the Christ, He's now those things.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So again, the fact that we have maybe misunderstood or or just um, Fallen short in our in our capturing in our declaration of what the gospel is sets us up for us to have this salvation culture.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I hesitate to even ask this question because this could go into a okay. big <laughs> side tangent. But like, why is that? Like, why why do we so emphasize the yeah. salvation culture aspect of it, and yeah. less the the kingship of Jesus?
1: Well, boy, man, we could delve into a lot of history with this, um, I think. But, um, you know, without maybe doing that, let's just connect maybe with the idea of human nature. Um, I think what is the natural response to realizing and understanding our fallen state? That's one. Uh, We look at our past and we know, man, we've really blown it. So we know we need forgiveness, especially, again, we've been setting the stage with even this statement. When we begin to see God clearly, that's the moment that we begin to see ourselves clearly as well. When you see yourself clearly, you you do what Isaiah did in Isaiah 6. You have that woe is me moment. I need something to change. I need help, right? I need forgiveness or um, I'm in trouble, right? So I think, I think there's a human nature piece to that as well. I think there's also part of human nature is our desire to really try to simplify the gospel so that it responds to mm-hmm. the heart of mm-hmm. our own problem. Mm-hmm. And so certainly if you do the Romans road, move yeah. through the gospel, you are very likely to come to this place where you, uh, where you believe that the gospel is all about our sinful nature and um, what God did to, to, to help remove that sinful nature. And, and that is a part of the gospel, there's mm-hmm. no doubt. Mm-hmm. But why is all that possible? It's because Jesus is enthroned as king. And so repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I mean, that's what Jesus was declaring is the kingdom, the enthronement yeah, is, is, is at hand and it's near. And in fact, if you walk through the beginning of Romans or if you listen even to Peter's Acts 2 sermon, you can't help but notice that really the heart and the movement, the thrust of the gospel is the kingship of Jesus and what God has done in enthroning Jesus, which makes him possible to really what it does is the forgiveness of sins takes on a whole new look for us or maybe takes on a deeper significance. It's it's a kingly pardon, in a Mm -hmm. sense, for Mm -hmm. the wrongs we've done against the king. So we're receiving a kingly pardon. Mm-hmm. He has the authority to forgive sins. In fact, there's this moment where Jesus says, "And so you'll know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins." Here's what I say: Take up your mat, mat and walk. So even even on earth, Jesus was already showing us that the authority was there and was going to be there fully. Um, you know, at his at his resurrection and enthronement. But but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's there. I think that's uh, it,
0: good. I mean, I would just add on to that. Mm-hmm. I also think it, maybe, it's, maybe it's easier at times to I just it present is. it as salvation culture. I mean, to, to say Jesus is our Savior is certainly yeah. offensive um, mm. because it doesn't mean we need to be saved, yes. and there is that, that rub to it, but in a sense, it's also an easier response. To Jesus as our savior than it is to Jesus as our king. Yeah. Because if he's a king, yes. it means he has authority. Right, he has it authority. It means we have to obey him. And that is, uh, when you have that fuller picture, yes. that, that's a that's a more lifelong goal to respond yeah. to that than just I a agree. one-time acceptance of salvation. Yes. Um,
1: yes, no, I think God. that's exactly right. And I think there have been some positive moves made forward uh, yeah, in the yeah. last several decades with you know, even the idea of lo- uh, you know, lordship salvation. Yeah. So that Jesus isn't just savior, he's also lord.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, we can still fall short in that if we miss Jesus as king. Mm-hmm. And if we mm-hmm. miss that being kind of at the heart of, uh, of the good news of God, mm-hmm. um, the euangelion, the, the good news that Jesus is king. Yeah. Jesus has been enthroned. And because of that, all these things are possible, and our response to His kingship is now possible as well. And so, yeah, the gospel is about salvation, your salvation, my salvation, but it's about that because of what is at the heart of the gospel, mm-hmm. that Jesus mm-hmm. is king. So, you know, I think that's, that's in there to some degree. I think that's part of, um, part of the reason why we focus on the first bit. Um, you know, we, we also have had this... Um, you know, what that has led to is that we, we focus on the decision, and that's also easy. You know, so we focused a little bit so far on, on those who are receiving the idea of salvation or forgiveness. What about those who are leading and guiding people towards salvation or forgiveness? Um, you know, it's a lot easier to coach people to a decision and then to pat them on the back and say, good job, um, and you, you did it, you made it, you're in as opposed to coaching people through what then becomes a lifelong process of discipleship, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But we, we weren't called. Jesus didn't say go into, the, go into all the world and get people to make decisions. He said go into, the whole, whole, go into all the world and make disciples. You know, Matthew 28 is go make disciples, not just go make decisions about salvation, it's go make disciples. Um, and part of that is teaching them to obey everything I have commanded Right? So that's a huge piece that's, uh, that comes, by the way, on, <laughs> right on the heels of Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I can't imagine a more kingly statement than that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I think we have, we have preached salvation because it's a lot easier, or we've preached, people, we've preached and coached people to the point of a decision, which is a part of the discipleship process, but it's the beginning of discipleship, of one's discipleship to Jesus the king or mm-hmm. Jesus, even the rabbi, the teacher, if you want to look at him in that aspect. Um, you know, so that's, that's a, you know, that's, that's a big thing. I, I think, you know, also another piece of this, Ben, is again, as we talked about last week and, and we set the stage um, with this as kind of our framework this, this week at the beginning of this episode, is this reality that we have couched repentance, we have framed repentance within uh, with a focus on the past, because again, mm. we want to be forgiven okay. for our past, okay. but we've forgotten that repentance is every bit as much about the future,
2: mm.
1: or repentance says every bit as much about what will happen in the future as it does about the past. Again, so again, so if
0: we just isolate things to where it's just about the past, right. Really, the indwelling of the Spirit for our future doesn't matter as much if it's exactly just right. about the past.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. And so. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. what, what does the presence of God do in my life? Yeah. Or why do I need the presence of God in my life? If the whole point is just forgiveness mm-hmm. and receiving That's forgiveness, good. Good. then why do I need the presence of God in my life from this day forward? And so, you know, the way I said that in this message, and I'll, I will acknowledge that this first statement is a little bit incomplete, but we might say it this way. Well, forgiveness is for the past. It is so that you can, the, the old life can go away and that you can have a new life. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to continue to sin and that forgiveness isn't also for the future. It absolutely is. But it is about the old life being forgiven of that old life so that we can live a new life, being freed. I mean, that's what Paul says in Romans 6. Anyone who's been, who has died to sin is free from sin set free from sin so that you can live this new life Mm -hmm. Um, but but how do we have the presence or the power to live the new life it's because the presence of god is with us so if we say again in very general terms forgiveness is for the past about the past then we have to then turn around and say well the promise of the presence of god is all about the future from this day forward the presence of god will be with you if we look about it in the sense of the indwelling of the holy spirit that's good or i think peter as he's preaching acts 319 has something even a little bit different in mind as he talks about in acts 319 these times of refreshing which can be very much about you know the an individual but it can also be much more communal in in scope we'll talk about that more next week um but in Acts three nineteen, there's this promise of times of refreshing coming from the presence of the Lord for those who repent. Now, Peter had already seen a large crowd repent on on the day of Pentecost. Three thousand come to faith, and a little bit later, he preaches this message at the temple. Um, we're right near the temple. Um, he preaches this message, and he already knows what's happening in this community. So I think his thinking about repentance or the presence of God in particular was a little bit broader at that point in time. So it wasn't just about you individually will receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's now times of refreshing come as God's presence is coming within the community of God. And yes, individually repentant people, but a broader idea about the community experiencing times of refreshing, which are, again, we've talked about this in the sense of individual renewal, because of God's presence. That's times of refreshing. Communal revival because of God's presence. And then hopefully as the presence of God spills out, you know, kind of, you know, as it crosses the boundaries of those who belong to God into the lives of those who don't belong to God, as they're seeing this community live in a whole new way, then hopefully the community around the community of God starts to experience an awakening of sort. Mm-hmm. Again, we'll, we'll talk about all that more next week, but that's just to, to uh, Uh, to connect with that a little bit. this. But again, two promises. We need to focus on both of the promises. Um, Forgiveness being about the past in in general terms, the presence of God for the future. And so I I think, yeah, we've got a number of barriers in place, but it's time for us to push through those barriers (laughs) and to start talking about the presence of God being with His people and and that we... um, can I, can I say one more thing? Cause this, this just, mm-hmm. I, I just mm-hmm. came to, to mind in, in my mind too with this. Um, it is because we've often made repentance a one-time act as well. So hmm. we say, I repent in this moment yeah, and we don't, think about living a repentant life and certainly again we'll we'll talk about that more next week but that that also i think is a reason why we don't make a bigger deal about god's presence in our life is the misunderstanding of the fact that repentance is not a one-time act Mm -hmm. It, it continues to characterize the life that we now live every day going forward and so um there is this connection and tie between <clears throat> repentance and actually experiencing the presence of god mm-hmm, by the way mm-hmm. so so i think all of that goes together to maybe explain why we don't make a bigger deal about the presence of god in our lives we're maybe we haven't experienced his presence the way we were designed to so
0: well that's a good um the, the experience point that's a good yep. transition to what i want to talk about next is that because i i think sometimes maybe even if we do believe that, and we see it as a promise mm-hmm. that comes with baptism, with, um, with baptism or repentance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there is a lack of, resp- of experience of that that causes yeah. people to maybe doubt yeah, its reality. Right. You said it like that's this right. in the book. You say mm-hmm. that throughout your years in ministry, um, I've had numerous conversations with church leaders that begin with a sentiment like this. Mm-hmm. I just wish we could experience the presence of God in the way the first Christians did. Oh yeah, um, and I, I, I just wonder with that. I mean, it does seem like there's a lot of people that don't think we do. Yeah, they don't think we can, and probably that's fueled because they haven't experienced right. that. They haven't experienced that. Their experience isn't matching right. up with maybe what they're seeing in Scripture, and it right. creates some some doubt there. I, certainly, there are some that believe that maybe that's not even a reality right. anymore, it can and be. that's yes. another thing. But um, so I guess. I guess my question for you out of that would be, do you believe that people can still experience that presence? Okay. Um, which we've, we've talked a little bit about maybe, but then, and if that's so, why is it that so many Christians aren't experiencing
1: yeah. it? Yeah. Well, that's a good question and a, and a tough one. <laughs> um, yeah. So I actually, this section in the book toward the end of chapter seven, I actually kind of subtitled this section or the heading of this section is called The Lament. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, I mean, I've had multiple conversations over my time in ministry, and I've even been the one to say those words to some degree. I just wish that we as Christians today could experience the presence of God the way that the early Christians did. I mean, who doesn't want that? You read Acts and you see all the things that were happening, and it's like, man, God was so present among those people. They were so vibrant and alive because the presence of God was with them daily. You just see it. The outpouring of God's presence, um, the, the 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 community living in a way that was so radically different. Again, we'll touch on that more next week. Uh, so we want that because we see it, and, and we wish we could have it. And so for me, there is this lament that goes with that. You know, Jeremiah wrote a whole book called Lamentations. I just wrote a little section of a few paragraphs in my book <laughs> called The Lament. But but I I kind of I I I, I understand what it is to lament in that sense. To want something so badly, but feel like it's it's been out of reach for a time, and mm-hmm. so I, I get that. Um, but so you ask the question: Do I believe it's possible? Well, I'm going to say yes, and here's why I'm going to say yes: because Peter said it was. Yeah, you know, Peter says this promise. So Acts two, this promise is for you, the crowd that was listening to him mm-hmm. then. Right there in that moment. Then he goes on to say, "Your children." So the next generation—that's really mm-hmm. what that—that's that, what the idea of your children signifies. It, it doesn't necessarily mean. And some people will take this and say, um, uh, "This is a case for actually, um, you know, uh, to push a, against be, the idea of believers' baptism." Okay. There will some will say, "Oh yeah, they're, they're children. This is this is covenant language right here." And I don't think this is covenant language in the sense that. If you make the decision it also expands out to your children i don't think that's the case at all Um, i don't think this this uh, this is speaking to this idea of a covenant family which some in in um, in the christian world want to want to go to i think this is talking this is next generation language peter is saying this is for this is true for you in this moment Mm -hmm. it will be true for the next generation the promise of forgiveness and the indwelling presence of god and then he goes on to say this. Okay, so He says this promises for you, for your children, and for all who, those who are far off. Far off. What does far off mean? It means way out there in the distant future. It means us today.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For all whom the Lord our God will call. So Peter attaches the promises of forgiveness and the presence of God to all those who will respond to the call of God. Uh, to... Repent, mm-hmm. be baptized. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, believe comes before that. Um, but yeah, so yes, I think it's 100% possible. Um, you know, I think the reality is I don't think it is our, I mean, as you said, I don't think it is our experience as, as others have implied by, um, by even asking that question as I've implied myself by asking that question or by making that statement, really, I just yeah. wish we could experience the presence of God the way that uh, that the early Christians did, that the mm-hmm. you know that the early Acts Church did. I wish we could experience the presence of God that way. So actually, later in that section in the lament, um, I write this, and, and these are these are hard and heavy words. Uh, so I'm just going to say this right away. But mm-hmm. but here here's what I say in that section, and I, I begin with a question. I say this: Am I implying that I question? the extent to which many in the American church have truly repented. So uh, trying to get at the heart of maybe why we're not experiencing the presence of God among us. And my answer to that is yes. Hmm. I think we don't experience the presence of God in our lives the way the early church did because we are not living repentant lives the way the early church did. Hmm. Um, You know, I I go on later in this short section of the book to say, look, is the divorce rate in the church all that different from the divorce rate, uh, you know, marriages yeah. in the world? No, yeah. it's not. Um, is, you know, uh, do we struggle with pornography addictions less in the church than we do in the world? And the answer to that is no, we really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, are, we, uh, are we less greedy? Or let's, let's think about some positive things. Are we more kind-hearted? Are we more loving? Are we more gentle, more hopeful, more, you know, and I think in some of those things, the answer to that is yes, we are somewhat more, Uh, more of those things, but but what we're talking about is a radical embrace of the way of God that makes us wildly different from the people around us instead of what I think is true about many of us, myself included at times, Mm -hmm. that we're living a somewhat compromised life. You know, and so I, I just, you know, here's the way that we have been saying this. So I'm connected with a project, uh, working with a project with, in conjunction with Renew and Discipleship.org and some others as well. It's, it's a project bringing a number of churches together to try to say, hey, hey, we're seeing revival happening in other places in the world. Why is it not happening here? Well, one of the things that we found is, is that we are not embracing repentance and a commitment to the things of God the way that other people are in other Mm -hmm. places in the world, whether it be in China, Africa, India, uh, Iran, where people are up against incredible hardship, but they're saying yes to the things of God in incredible ways. And so what we have said about that is this, as it relates to revival, is this, until the people of God embrace faithfulness to the things of God, we should not expect to see a movement of God, Mm. which really is a way of speaking about the presence of God at work among us. And so... Boy, I know, I know this last section in the answer is, is pretty heavy. Um, and I know there may be some people walking away feeling even badly about their own lives at this point in time. But we, we should at times examine our lives in that way that lead us to this place where we're starting to ask the question, am I not experiencing the presence of God in my life because I'm, I'm not truly living a repentant life? Now, I do want to say this. Um, I say also in this section so I'll quote real quickly again I know of course it is at times more complicated than this and those who are truly repentant will have seasons of difficulty as it relates to experience experiencing the presence of God in their lives hmm. but mm-hmm. catch this do not however allow this truth to become the rationalization you use to dismiss the clear connection between the choice to embrace biblical hmm. repentance and yeah. the experience of God's presence yeah so you know again I, yes the experience of god's presence is tied to repentance are we all going to have seasons where we struggle in experiencing god's presence of course we will but don't allow that to be the reason that you dismiss the tie between biblical repentance and experiencing the presence of god in your life
0: well and there is there is clearly the the bad part of it that you that you've yeah. said of that it is it's indicting to it hear is. that to some Convicting. extent yeah and yet there is also a joyous reality, maybe, in this, too, is that to hear, yes. and to hear maybe for the first time or to hear anew that uh, that this is possible. It's possible. That there is a reality, maybe something that you've been searching for, you're listening to it, it, something that you've been desirous in your life is that to see that, no, yes. this... This is true. This is a reality of experiencing yes. of a radical experience of the presence of God in your life. So to to put my optimistic bet on it, just I'm, I'm say thankful that that you are. there yes. is such a, a positive reality to to be um, to be excited about, to be mm-hmm. expecting, to be mm-hmm. searching for, to be eagerly pursuing in our lives. Right. Kind of um, as we move forward, and maybe we're gonna uh, point to some of that in this next question, but uh, yes. that we just can as we're turning in that direction so I think that's um, That that's the positive side of the mm-hmm. of the negative that is a reality that we need yeah, to it is so we need to accept <laughs> if we're not experiencing that so um So as we close our final question is how can we practice what we've learned to, uh, here to be yeah. faithful to Jesus?
1: So this is just gonna be a real kind of quick take stock of your life challenge um you know, maybe the first part of that is this. Do I believe Peter's words from the Acts 2 sermon that the promises of salvation, forgiveness, you know, forgiveness. And we, we seem to, to show that we do believe that by mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. words, our actions. Yes, we believe the forgiveness piece that through Jesus' forgiveness of, our, of sins is possible. But do we also believe that through the reconciliation that God offers that, that you know, in that moment as well, that what is present or what is possible is the presence of God and experiencing the presence of God? So first, take stock of your life as a Christ follower. Do you really believe the promises? Do you believe that this promise or these promises are for you, that first crowd, that, that generation that would experience what happened in the first few chapters of Acts? Was it true for their children? Is that promise true for all those who are far off, including you today? Do you believe mm-hmm. the promise is still true for us today? Then the second piece of that is, you know, what, what, what is more valuable or more important than experiencing God's presence? Mm. So are you truly living a repentant life? And if not, have you asked yourself that question, why not? Do I believe that there is nothing better in life than experiencing the presence of God daily? I mean, I... Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say for myself, I, I think I'm at that point Yeah, you know, where, where I really truly believe that. You know? And then as well, remember there are two promises that are given. You know, have you been more excited about the promise of receiving forgiveness than the promise of living in the presence of God? And if yes, why is that true? So I think mm-hmm. again, I think uh, what we're challenging people to today is to take some time and, and evaluate and think. Yeah. Um, you know think take stock of your life in regard to these questions is there anything more valuable than experiencing the presence of God do I believe these promises are still mine today am I part of that all Mm -hmm. those who are far off that Peter was speaking about and I think the answer is 100% yes we are the ones that Peter was thinking about that he didn't even know about when he says and all those who are far off all those whom the Lord our God will call.
0: I love that. Great spot to close it, Paul. Thank you for that. Thank you for for everything you shared today and for that uh, for that call to action. Um, so thank y'all once again for tuning in. Uh, we, as always, we invite you to just let us know how is this going. Like if you're ever if you're mm-hmm. taking these challenges seriously and you want to give us some feedback, how is this going in your life? We'd always always love to hear our stories and comments from you. But um, otherwise, we invite you to join us again next week for our final final part of this series, part eight. We'll be concluding it. So if you're reading along in the book, read chapter eight. Hopefully, if you're local, you can join us on Sunday morning for that message. But um, we'll uh, we'll be concluding this next week. So thank you for joining us. We'll see you all then.
1: God bless you all. See you next week.